Welcome to the FinTech and Digital Banking Podcast by BCG Platinian. Your hosts are Annika Melchert and Nora Hocker. Join them as they talk to hand-picked fintech experts about the future of banking. Hello and welcome everyone to this episode of the FinTech and Digital Banking Podcast. Today, here with us, we have Jörg Hohwein, the Chief Product Officer of Germany's newest unicorn, Solaris Bank. Solaris Bank is a Berlin-based fintech that has already been around for quite some years now, since its foundation in 2016. And with their banking as a service offering, they already have a range of well-known fintechs like Trade Republic or Nuri, just to name a few. And apart from their licensing, which is also kind of the core of their offering, they also provide seamless processing of transactions and basically the full range of classic banking products to their customers. And in his role as Chief Product Officer, Jörg, who is with us here today, is responsible for bringing this all together into a convincing banking as a service offering. So we're really happy to have him here. Welcome, Jörg. Thanks for the invitation. Hi, happy to be here as well. So banking as a service might still be somehow abstract to some of our listeners. So how would you explain your product to someone who doesn't have that much knowledge of banking itself? And maybe directly as a follow-up, how do you differentiate from, for instance, a core banking system provider here? Yes, obviously something I have to do more often explaining not only my parents, but also other people who don't understand so much about fintech. So what are we doing or what is banking as a service doing? We are enabling others who don't have a banking license to offer banking products or financial services products to their end customers. That's the general notion. Our partners, as we call them, that's our direct business relationships. They offer products to their customers. So there is a B2B2X business model. We are the first B, our partners the second B. And the X is the end customer, can be a consumer or business who get financial services products provided by our partners. How does that differentiate from core banking system providers massively? It's something completely different. Core element is that we have a banking license. So if you imagine banking as a layered model of different elements you need to provide to offer banking products, you always have a regulatory level where you like need to have the license, obviously. Then you have a system level where you have core banking systems, process systems, and so on. And then you have front ends, which you provide to the customer. Front ends can be like today, obviously more digital, but in the end, if you want so, a branch phone is also a front end towards an end customer. So in our case here, we offer those lower two levels from my description, the license and all the core banking processes and systems. And our partners just in apostrophes provide the front end towards their end customers. This can be any format in theory, but again, typically it's an app or a web front end. And does Solaris Bank also offer white label front ends, for example, if your customers would want to have a super fast head start and not develop an app on their own? So in principle, we don't because we don't believe that white label works well. Because in banking 2021, you need to differentiate what's your end customers. Anything which would be white label would just mean it's a standard front end. And we don't believe in standards. So that's also what we see with all our partners. Typically, they're serving specific niches, specific contexts. And it's not just white label wouldn't work for all those different partners in the same way. What we are trying is to make it as easy as possible for our partners to provide apps. For example, we're now starting to provide SDKs for different aspects of the product to make it easier for our partners to integrate the more complex parts of our products and then just bring it to their app with an easy SDK. 
but then still put it into their respective context, maybe into existing apps, maybe into apps very specifically targeted to a niche, whatever type of customer group. And that's really a core belief of ours, that white label will likely not be the perfect solution. For sure, we also have partners who ask us. We have a couple of agencies and partners around us who have been working with us where we can easily get access to, where we can help our partners to find somebody who builds frontends for them, who know integrations with us, who have been working with us in the past. That makes it easier, for sure, but in principle, we don't build. So I would really like to dive a bit deeper into the middle layer, the core banking. So as I understand, you did not start with your own core banking system. You did not develop it from scratch when you started, but you basically ordered or you had someone build it for you, do I understand correctly? Or was it a standard system you use? Maybe it gives you a bit of context how we started, right? That's also interesting and relevant on a standards. Like back in the days, 2014, 15, when Finleap, who company builder from Berlin who founded Solaris Bank, were building their first fintech ventures. And 2014, fintech was still rather new. For the first ventures, they always figured out, okay, we need a banking partner for something. They went to classical banks and asked for their support and asked for things like APIs. And they were typically saying, APIs, what is that? We don't have that. That's where Findy figured out, okay, if we want to build fintechs in a systematic way as a company builder for fintechs, we need a banking partner who can provide the core products, the commodity products towards those fintechs. That's how the idea of building Solaris Bank came up. And in that sense, it was thought from day one as a neutral B2B2X player being in the background, providing commodity banking products towards whatever partners are out there who would use them in their respective context. But we were also a startup and were very ambitious and needed to go fast. So we didn't take the time to build something, everything from scratch. We licensed an existing core banking system, small provider, German provider. Doesn't matter much in the end, a very monolithic system, which kind of was able to solve all problems of banking in one system. And from day one on, build a layer on top for all the APIs. And then over the years, invested more and more into processes. So one of the big advantages of our platform today, as we are now more than five years old, is that we really have a lot of processes highly automated. We have now more than 2 million customers or accounts out there. And on that number is you need to have very, very solid automated processes across all ranges of your products. That's what we invested into over time. Still sitting on this old licensed core bank system, and then but also started in 2017 and the beginning of 18 already to build our own core banking system because it was also clear that in the long run, differentiation in banking as a service would also come about cost efficiency, scalability, high-end processes. And those things you, in the end, if you really think big and want to have many customers, many accounts, you only reach with self-built systems because whatever provider you go with, you would in the end still pay a price per account, price per something. You would discuss about SLAs and so on, which we didn't want. We wanted to have our own responsibility, our fate in our own hands. And if something breaks, our own team was responsible to fix it. And that's what we have achieved now with building our own system, bringing it live over the last 15 months in the end. And now sitting fully on our own infrastructure feels, feels much more solid than any combination of providers we had before. I figured that, yeah. I'm super interested, actually, because, I mean, building a core banking system is not something you do easily. We usually don't recommend it to our customers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially, I mean, not if you want that head start. You already said that you had already built that layer around your monolithic core banking system you had before. So how did you approach building your own system? Did you build it like below that layer again? Or did you build it fully greenfield? Like you said, let's start from new. How would we imagine 
the best possible core banking system we can have. So obviously we started with a clear imagination of the best possible system. To quickly reply to your comment, you don't recommend it to your customers. It makes sense. If your customers send that retail bank, send that commercial bank, send that whatever bank, it doesn't make sense for them to build that because it's not differentiating. But in banking as a service, which is a new business model in banking, any standard provider out there wouldn't fulfill the specific needs of banking as a service. And we would always struggle of solving our different problems with a standard system. And that's why for somebody like us, who has a special and obviously very, very tech-focused business model, where API, quality of response times, quality of availability, quality of reaction times if something breaks and so on, is extremely important because, again, B2B2X with business partners who are fully relying on us. And then the more you have a dependency going backwards in the chain, it becomes even more important to have that fully under control. So therefore, very specific model needs a very specific system, which we build now back to the actual question on a like greenfield basis. We consider what would we want to have if we build core banking by ourselves. We had the luxury to be able to do that. That was actually our first, if you want, so R&D process or product where we started in the beginning for the first couple of months, actually, with actually one or two engineers, one product slash engineer slash architect, who started playing around with tech and figured out how would we do it if we now build the system, which in the end, I mean, to be realistic, the inner core of core banking, ledger systems, having balances on accounts is a very dumb thing. I mean, it adds up plus and minus on accounts. And if you want so, it's easy, but obviously it becomes very complex if you do it. But figuring this out was an important start for us. And then we grew the teams around that over time. First year, one team, second year, actually two teams, and third year, more or less three teams, building the system with all the dimensions. And then again, now we can dive deeper into core banking. And what we typically call core banking is a number of systems. And we didn't build everything by ourselves. We built the ledger system, the payment system by ourselves. The payment system is, in the end, the most important one because that's the connection to the outside payment world. That's where the actual magic happens. Adding up payments to an account balance, again, is rather dumb. If you want so around that, you have regulatory layers like general ledger system, which we're purchasing, rec reporting systems, which we're purchasing, taxation stuff, and other smaller systems, which are very specific to regulation in different countries. And therefore, you need or buy those systems. But in the end, we formed a very modular setup, which I still consider the absolute right choice also for a flexible business model into the future. Build those things in a modular way. As you build tech in general in a modular way, yeah, microservices, blah, blah, we don't need to talk about that. So why shouldn't you build your core business system in a modular way, which we did, which gives us full flexibility into the future. When you say you bought or you purchased additional components, do you mean you bought additional pieces of software or are you also like consuming other services like directly? We are using different systems, for example, just to mention a few, we're using SAP as a general ledger. Very thin layer. It's really only balance sheet and P&L. That's not very much, but for sure SAP is good in that for all accounting standards, whatever country you want to have, IFRS, etc. That all is in there. And why should you build that, right? So all the non-differentiating. All the non-differentiating stuff is in there and you can buy that. Or we're using, for example, in compliance topics, transaction monitoring. We're also buying some stuff from providers who do this for many banks, who do this based on a lot of data, who have a couple of years experience also in AI, etc. to learn from patterns they see out in the world. And that's, again, something where you can leverage knowledge of others and therefore you buy a system. Because again, that doesn't make me a better bank. I mean, I want to be very clean on transaction monitoring for sure, but towards my customer, that is not differentiating. You just mentioned the topic of flexibility, which also leads us to one of the never-ending hot topics in banking, which is probably cloud computing. So Solaris Bank claimed to be the first German bank running fully on public cloud, correct? 
Yes, we migrated everything in the beginning, 2016, when we started. We obviously didn't go in public cloud because that was way too early. So we started on a private cloud offering and over the last year actually migrated everything into AWS. So what were your biggest challenges in this area? The challenges are, from our perspective, mainly about the legal and regulatory side of things. So to start with the good things, like teams getting more ownership about their services, engineers who have experience with AWS living in something which they know about, giving responsibility into teams, you build it, you own it, and so on. All those concepts of modern IT management really only work well if you have a cloud-based system where teams can decide their stuff by themselves. You have, still have kind of full control from centralized like platform teams for all the regulatory, security, etc. reasons you want to have very good, solid, centralized processes, for example, everything around CICD, you want that clearly standardized. But then again, you want to have teams having flexibility in their detailed processes, how they set up their services, etc. The regulatory environment, the, the legal unclarities about what is possible, how does it work with GDPR, what about the Cloud Act, what about Schrems, etc. PP. Those are the questions which made it a, actually in the long cumbersome thing to figure out all the details. How do you manage an outsourcing towards a company which in the beginning was an American company, now they have obviously a European subsidiary as well. So obviously that's the contract we're having with the subsidiary in Europe, not with the US. But if I would have a wish towards regulator and legislation, it would be give us more clarity about how to work with those providers. Because everything which is out there leads to every company asking the same legal questions to different legal advisors and pay tons of money to lawyers to then have a sound argumentation towards whatever regulatory body to explain why everything is fine. So if we would get the regulation in a way that it makes this easier, that would help. Yeah, and I mean, you can't just use the argument like once enough banks are on the cloud, then you can say, oh, well, yeah, it's kind of normal. That's not how it should work, right? Yes. Could you clarify a bit about the cloud usage? So was it that you built your new system like directly in the cloud? Or was it rather you built it somewhere else and shifted it to the cloud? Or did you already have your like the previous system in the cloud? How was the timeline here? Super good question. The original system, as I mentioned before, were all built on a private cloud offering again in 2016 when we started. That was the only way you could go with. When we started with building our core banking layer 2017-18, we directly started on AWS because it was clear that we would want to be on AWS and the system for the first two and a half years was anyhow not in production. So there was no production data in there, so there was no reason to be concerned about anything. But we used the capabilities of AWS from the very get-go for the principles of how we designed the system. And then over time, we managed all the regulatory complexity about working on AWS. And when we went live with our new coping system, we were on the stage of major outsourcing towards AWS anyhow. Yeah, makes total sense. I mean, also for to ease your development, of course. So once you had the product ready, how did you approach migrating your customers? Because obviously, also we know from our projects in BCG Platinum, we have accompanied and planned quite a few CBS migrations and it can be a mess. And also looking at the latest news, looking towards Bank, there's quite some buzz around it and there's quite a lot that can go wrong. So how come that we didn't hear anything about your migration now? The good thing is that, I mentioned that before as well, we built a very modular system. And like looking into the old world, if you migrate from monolith to monolith, you're likely to go with a big bang. That's how you need to go with those things. If you live in a modular world and you go out of a monolith into a modular thing, 
then you can easily do this over a longer period of time. And that's how we approached it. We had our existing customers on the old system. We had our big sort code on the old system. We opened a second big and a second sort code and started with new partners on a new system. So the first new customers went live with our new system already in, I think, May 2020. And since then, we were growing this slowly but surely. They started actually with a not fully scoped product. In the beginning, we weren't able to serve whatever Swift, for example, or some specific types of payments in the first couple of months because it didn't matter. The first partner was a pure retail. We only needed SEPA, STT, STD. So we could easily start the business on the new system while the old stuff was running on the old system, also growing on the old system. And therefore, we learned. And we, for sure, we had errors, but those were all tiny. That's in the end, modern software development. Deploy quick. Go in production on a daily basis. Don't wait for the big release in six months. And all those concepts we were able to apply with the modular approach, go live with the system, learn, fail, get better, nobody notices. And for sure, there were also some smaller hiccups over those like 12 months, which maybe some people noticed, but it was really very much under control with the slow growth. And then the next big step was then that we at one point around March, April this year started opening new accounts for old partners who were on the old system on the new system. So then we had partners who were on both systems, which they didn't really notice much because the APIs towards our partners didn't change much. And therefore, they could entertain those two things. And all this was only proof for us that the new world was working completely. There was no problem. We increased the load. So we, in the end, right before the migration, we had at least one, no more, two-thirds of our accounts on the new system already. So it was proven that everything worked fine. It was able to carry the load, etc. So the only step we did then on this last kind of migration weekend was transporting the existing accounts from the old system with all their history onto the new system. And again, something of that we approached on a stretched way over a couple of weeks. We did the migration of all the bookings over a longer period of time and didn't wait for like one big copy job where old system talks to new system and copies data that was done in over weeks. And then on the last days, we just switched over some connections and everything worked out rather smooth. And I was really impressed by our engineering teams, our product teams, our operations teams, everybody around who doing a great job making this a very seamless experience for our partners and their end customers, which was the most important thing for us from day one onwards. Sounds like the success story no one has heard of <laughs> because there were no mistakes made or at least no big ones. And especially I also like the thought or the concept you had with having real customers on your new product early on and probably iterating with them, involving them in the product development process, right? Yes, which we are, I mean, we're a B2B company, right? And we're a B2B company, which right now is, I don't know, 60, 70 ish partners. So we're not a mass B2B company with hundreds of thousands of partners, and we will likely never be. We will surely be a company with a few thousand partners, but not hundreds of thousands or millions of partners. And therefore, you always have this element of a little bit of individuality per partner is allowed. Like in general, we strive fully for standard products. That's like my <laughs> chief product officer <laughs> foremost ambition to deliver standard products, which all our partners can leverage. But you will always have this next big partner who is specifically important from some perspectives, and you're willing to do some extra tough for them, which is okay, which is the basis of such a B2B business model always. Therefore, we are used to building a little bit of specifics, learning from new partners. Our partners are typically closer to the end customer, right? I mean, we're providing commodity in the background. For me, an account is an account. And my account doesn't care if it is served through an SME or a freelance or a consumer because it always does the same thing. It books money from left to right, hopefully fast, hopefully correct. In that sense, we don't know all the details about what the whatever freelance end customer wants, but our partners do. And therefore, our partners typically have good ideas about what we could deliver, which helps those type of customers to experience better banking. 
And that's why we're learning a lot from, where we're keeping an active discussion with our partners. We are sharing roadmaps, where we're also looking under their, their roadmaps and want to understand what they plan to do and learn from each other in the end, which I think, again, is an element of modern business. Now, like in the classical banking world, I mean, I've been a consultant for nearly 10 years and have been working in many, many different classical banks. You find the notion of, why should I ask somebody else? I know it, right? <laughs> I've been here all the time. But we all learned over the last 10 years that the world is changing so fast that those concepts obviously don't apply. And therefore, listening to your partners, to your providers, to the market with a very active ear, being agile, change your roadmaps, change your plans, is the core of running a modern business in a successful way. And that is, if you want, easy. I mean, our company is five years old. So if you're only a five-year-old company, you can easily talk about those concepts, which are hard to apply to a whatever 100,000 people company, which is whatever 100 years old. It's a big transformation, which we didn't have to go through. Still, as a management, you need to be conscious about those things and then still need to foster this culture to make it happen and keep your quick growth path up. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have this process kind of formalized? Do you have... Uh, I've seen, for example, at some new core banking system providers, they have this kind of open innovation process with a customer portal where customers just feed in their ideas and you can see you get transparency into their gyra, like what is currently on the way and the customers can vote on ideas, for example. So do you have also such kind of a tooling or is it more a people-driven thing? So you, as chief product officer, talk to your customers. How does it work? Yeah, it's my teams, obviously, who talk. And it's our teams overall who talk to our partners. No, we don't have it formalized in terms of whatever, completely public roadmaps or so. We do it with our partners. They know or to some extent, also not all details, but the important things, because it's also planability, again, it's B2B. So if we do a change that might have an impact onto our partners, so beginning of the year, try to tell them, okay, in Q3, we plan to do the following thing, which you will also need to adapt to in some way, another way around. So therefore, yes, it's open, but it's open towards our partners and not to the whole world. When talking about banking as a service, it's still a very specialized kind of fintech without having many competitors in the market as of now. So how do you see future developments here? I mean, it's moving fast, right? So the number of players in banking and service alone started growing a lot. The term is also needs explanation. So many out there claim themselves as banking and service, and then there are many different flavors of the same thing. So us being a fully licensed German bank, like under a small group of really fully-fledged banking service providers, many out there have only in apostrophes EMI licenses or don't have a license at all, are really pure tech providers, And that is something we need to differentiate in a fine granular way. What do you talk about when talking about banking and service? But obviously, it's an interesting sector. I mean, we for sure strongly believe that, that banking in the future will more and more happen, not in banks, but at the place of transaction, whatever the transaction might be, with the customer in existing contacts and with other players. So I believe strongly that banking and service will be the major part of financial services in the future. And therefore, the question is out there to anybody who is a classical bank. What do you want to do or be in 10 or 15 years or maybe already in five years? So either you try to sell your stuff further on through branches and believe in your own brand. Nice, try it. And there will still be a little bit of market for that. But the majority in our belief goes into a direction where the customer consumes financial services through whatever context he's in at this point in time. And therefore, banking and service becomes the new normal in banking. And we will see more and more players, also classical ones, if they are able to, if they don't sit on a very monolithic old world core banking system, if they have the tech capabilities, if they know how APIs work, if they have efficient processes, if they don't rely on people too much, 
then they might be able to go there and we will see more and more competition. And we are trying to keep up our European leadership and banking service. We are like the largest provider in that area in Europe and we want to stay there. That feels like a nice place which keeps us running fast. Do you have a certain plan to avoid being disrupted in the future? Looking maybe from a company perspective, from a product perspective, and also how do you plan to stay state-of-the-art from a tech perspective? We definitely have to ongoingly invest into a product and tech platform. You have to always be better. You need to have the best possible product. I want to be so good that our partners never even consider running away from me because it's a perfect offering. That's the ambition level and that requires a lot of work which we're doing ongoingly. We're expanding our business both geographically. We're now opening up branches in three countries in Europe, in Italy, Spain, France, to also be more localized there, offer local IBANs in those countries, offer specifics of banking in those countries. And we will go on doing that. We will also be going deeper in terms of like vertical integration. I mean, now we build our own core banking system and next time we might build more specific systems, which bring us deeper into the value chain, again, to get better overall to get better scalability, to get a better cost efficiency, to be just be a better player in this area. Competitive Edge is our full banking license and easy to integrate APIs. That's also something you need to go on working. I can't rely on the API, which is maybe good today, still being good tomorrow. Ongoing work, just on the way he came out of call, talking about how can we improve that again? How can we come to the next level on having an even better API? And that's the things you always need to keep on doing. You can't rest. Do you also plan to expand beyond Europe? Also something we're considering always. So talking about maybe also the future of financial services, and you already mentioned that embedded finance or moving banking to the point of transaction or point of sales is one aspect you see there. Could you tell a bit more about how this would look like from an end customer perspective? Mm -hmm. From an end customer perspective, I think banking will only get easier and will get more accessible. Also, for customers here in a very developed country like Germany, it is not always easy to get access. If I hear my mother-in-law, it's complex to get access to banking for her. That's dramatic, right? We're in Germany. But for her, then the next access to bank is finding a bus to drive her to the next branch. So, and then go into other countries in the world where people are not so close to branches and maybe don't have a smartphone in their hands. So, in the end, over the next 10, 15 years again, banking will get much more accessible for everybody in all countries in the world. And that also means it will be more in the context. It will not be a standalone service. We need to understand why and how. It's also still people don't understand the complexity of banking. They don't understand how to invest money, how to save money, how to lend money, all those things. And that will only get easier with making this more accessible. Yeah, quite interesting perspective. What I'm also looking at a lot right now, and that's also a bit driven by some guests we had in our previous episodes, there's a lot of buzz around decentralized finance these days. And looking into the future, there will be at least a significant part of the financial services running on a blockchain-based technology. So how do you see that development? Would you say it's something that runs next to the world you're working in? Or are you also stepping into that technology area, like preparing for it in some ways? I mean, the good thing is, yes, we're also working in with digital assets already. And that's kind of the starting point at the moment. Yeah, right. If you can say it's only digital assets, but that's also how we all move slowly into the world of this decentralized finance. We have partners who already offer like DeFi solutions for their customers. We're on that already. We're moving along with that. I think it's not going to be a super fast transition. It's not that in five years everything's decentralized and like banks with the classical mechanisms of central banks and so on don't work anymore. But we also see how central banks are moving. That's a good 
thing and we're happy that we're already today living a little bit in two worlds while centralized money systems, I think, still have a right to exist for quite a bit of time. As long as politicians and central banks want to steer a little bit the economy, it is to some extent helpful to have centralized ways, but decentralized ways will grow. And that's going to be super interesting over the next decades. I guess that's more a decades question until we are fully decentralized. I'm really curious how this will develop from a regulatory perspective here in Germany. Yes, there are many questions out there how that But again, we're seeing a very positive approach of central banks across the world. Things are moving and that's good. Maybe it's not moving fast enough, but it's moving and it takes time to set rules and regulations into place from a regulatory perspective. All right. So final question, as we're already quite at the end of this episode. If you had to bet on one technology, one emerging technology right now, what would it be and why? If you want to talk about banking and fintech and so on, do you think there's a lot of potential in everything around AI? So that's something we're starting to apply. We're using providers in that area. We will definitely go on getting bigger around machine learning and, and AI because I really think it can help a lot on improving your processes. If you ask me as an individual, as a consumer, as a person living on Earth, I think we need to invest more into climate tech, carbon reduction tech, all those things, because that is a really big problem we're facing. So I hope we're seeing more innovations there that is even bigger than banking. But maybe how can banking contribute to that? What did Bill Gates say? Banking is necessary, banks are not. He's a smart person, I think. So economies will need money and it will be moved somehow. And as long as this isn't fully decentralized, you will have banks around who help moving money in a secure way with broad access for everybody. That very fundamental role of banks in economies is very old and will also not go away very fast. So we will still need banks to keep economies alive. These are nice closing words. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks as well for having me here. I enjoyed the talk. So did we. Yeah, a lot. And back to our listeners, we hope you've already subscribed to our podcast. Make sure to not miss the next episode. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the FinTech and Digital Banking Podcast by BCG Platinian. BCG Platinian, your experts on IT strategy, modern technology architecture, and state-of-the-art banking. The digital future is now. For more information, check bcgplatinian.com. <laughs>